It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the 52nd episode of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nick Braccia, Stan Drive on deck here to discuss last week's UFC on ESPN Plus 27, Benavidez versus Figueredo, and this weekend's UFC 248, where Israel Adesanya defends his middleweight championship against Yoel Romero. Nikolai, it is good to be talking with you, buddy. Yeah, man, it is. It's good to talk to you too, Stan. But oh boy, did I sure pick him wrong last week. Yeah, man. We had a lot of the, we had a lot of the same picks, but I uh, nothing. Uh, Nothing went my way. You went one and five in your picks, even though we did agree on all of uh, all of those picks. And I went five and one on my side. I said at the end of last week's episode that you ended up picking uh, all of my last picks, and I ended up getting the majority of my first several picks. And yeah, there was a reason I was confident in those, and it worked out. But man, some of those were surprises. I think you know several guys shit the bed that you didn't necessarily expect them to. Ismail Nardiev. In a very similar way, he lost his second UFC fight against Sean Brady this time. Um, Alan Cruz just got sparked by Spike Carlisle, who is just that was, yeah, that was your more pick. and more of a badass. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's that's one that didn't. That's the only one that I picked that didn't go my way. But yeah, there were a few fights that kind of went the other direction. The Spivak Tybura fight. Brendan Allen is a spectacular prospect, and I'm super excited about him. He just smoked Tom Breeze. And uh, Kyler Phillips looked extremely smooth against Gabriel Silva. But in the main event, we had a flyweight title fight between Joseph Benavidez and Davidson Figueredo. Nick, you ended up picking Benavidez. You were more confident in him than I was because I saw the issue with him going in headfirst. But that's not why That's not why he lost, though. He was actually doing a pretty good job with that. He, I think this is a fluke defeat, in my opinion. I definitely disagree for a few reasons. One... Benavidez has been hurt a few times in his career. Now he's been knocked out once. He was hurt against Pettis, who's not a heavy hitter. He was knocked out by Demetrius Johnson, who really never knocks people out. And Davidson Figueredo is a heavy-handed guy. And Joseph Benavidez always wades in head first. Now, uh, Davidson was able to spark him a few times when he did that, right? But what happened was jo- Joseph Benavidez attacking head first made Joseph's head run into Davidson's head. That head clash sparked a cut on Benavidez in that second round. And then Benavidez was kind of wiping the blood off his forehead as Davidson Figueredo landed that beautiful right hand. So I do think uh, Benavidez fighting recklessly the way that he does, it played a factor here because he cut his own head open. He caused that headbutt. What are your thoughts? I mean, I thought they both caused the headbutt. I thought they were moving, you know, toward one another. I didn't really feel like Benavidez was fighting reckless. I thought he had pretty good movement. I thought he was landing good shots. I thought his chin was holding up. And I think that, as I, as they said on air, I think that the headbutt concussed him or nearly concussed him because immediately afterwards, after wiping that blood off, he was just standing still against the cage, allowing Figueroa to fire that right hand. Benavidez didn't spend any other time in the fight just standing out in front of him. I think he was, I think he was knocked silly. And it's it's an it's unfortunate, but it was a headbutt. It wasn't a blow, and uh, I think it did a lot of damage. But I thought Benavidez was winning the fight. Yeah, Benavidez did well in that first round. Although I thought he got stunned once or twice by Figueroa's counter right hands. But I, I'm going to disagree with the fact that Benavidez was hurt. Uh, it, it seemed to be more of like a, a it wasn't a direct clash per se, and the part of Benavidez's head where he got hit uh, in in the head uh, with the head of Figueroa. It was more his forehead, and that's really the least likely area where you can actually get hurt. Often enough, the guy who clashes with his forehead is the one that gets hurt least. And uh, again, if you watch a replay, Benavidez was moving forward into Figueredo like he did every other time Benavidez attacked. And he always does it head first. That's why he's susceptible to the counters. It's also why they clashed heads. I don't blame Figueredo for that at all. I do blame him for not making weight. And it's unfortunate that we don't have a champion in the division, although technically I guess Cejudo keeps the title. But uh, Benavidez, I would disagree also that he wasn't standing in space. Watch the replay. He was circling to his left, which is essentially circling into David Figueredo's right hand with his back toward the cage. Uh, that part is true. And he was kind of wiping his forehead and checking on that cut. Uh, a little bit distracted. I don't think he was rocked. Fairly confident that it was more the distraction of 
the bleeding and the damage that he had caused with that headbutt. Okay. But, you know, either way, it's neither here nor there. Uh, Figueredo landed a beautiful right hand, clean right hand. It seemed like Benavidez did not see it coming, uh, you know, whether it's because he was hurt or distracted. And, yeah, that first round, Benavidez was looking pretty good overall. He wasn't able to get the takedown, but he is kind of the smaller, faster guy, and he was able to take advantage of that. But, again, his style makes it extremely risky. The younger Pettis brother knocked him down in the first round of their fight uh, a year or so ago. In similar fashion, Benavidez was just waiting forward and caught a left hook. You can't really do that if you don't have the greatest chin in the world. you got to be more defensively minded. The way that TJ Dillashaw uses that same blitz style that they both learned from Dwayne Ludwig, he doesn't leave his head in that center line coming straight at his opponent's head. He's always shifting it. And that's one mistake that Benavidez keeps making. And in this case, I think it was a factor in the loss. But I really do think sooner or later, Figueredo would have hit him again and again with that right hand on the counter as Benavidez wades in. And he probably would have caught him, even if that cut hadn't kind of exasperated things. Did you feel like... Benavidez, like, I thought he looked in phenomenal shape because he has been looking a little bit softer lately. I thought he looked fantastic, and I thought Figueredo was slowing down, and I, I thought event, I thought he was going to, in time, lose some of the snap on his shots. But, That's you a know, good point, actually. But he, he you know, it, it was, you know, call it bad luck, call it whatever, but, ben, you know, Benavidez did need to fight a perfect fight against a bigger, stronger guy, and yeah. it, didn't, it didn't go his way. Uh, the rest of the card wasn't very much fun i didn't think i think maybe it wasn't fun for you because in our picks at least you weren't doing well it was a pretty decent card i think overall a bunch of finishes uh some controversy i mean very few decisions i think on this card i didn't think it was very high level i guess it just was a lot of i don't know i thought it was a lot of inconsequential fights and guys i wasn't that interested in Um, i hear that no no real major names on this one felicia spencer got a first round submission as expected against uh, zara fair Yes. Yeah, and Kevin McDonald, who's a really solid referee normally, in my opinion, uh, he's getting a lot of flack for messing up that horrible stoppage with the Ian Kutalaba Magomed Ankalaev fight. But not only did he completely botch that one, and clearly Ian Kutalaba was on his feet and literally in the middle of throwing a strike as the fight got stopped, but I thought he also stopped the Norma Dumont Megan Anderson fight early. Maybe he factored in the fact that Dumont is much less experienced. But yeah, she got sat down. But, you know, she was throwing her hands up. She was ready to defend. And he just kind of came in and, and stopped it. It just seems like he had a weird two-fight streak of stopping fights early. Obviously, one way more egregious than the other. Uh, so what here's you a, think of that? Here's a, well, here's a question for you. Do you think Kutalaba mm-hmm. was rope-a-doping and kind of like mugging and, and playing around? Or did you think he was rocked? Because on those replays... There was one shot maybe that grazed the side of his head, but it seemed like he was blocking everything and his defense was quick and it was very hard to figure out what shot rocked him because he wasn't getting hit by that whole heck of a lot. So I wondered if there was a little bit of him playing possum. I don't know if that's his style or what have you, but the fact of the matter is when the fight got stopped, he was extremely lucid. Um, Oh, yeah, I I agree with you there. And Yeah, I first thought he was rocked by those head kicks on Kalaev through three or four in a row. And once Kutelava started kind of uh, swaying left and right, Magomed just kind of went for the finish. And being smart, he went with more kicks. If Kutelava did play possum, and there's a chance that he did, I can see the logic in it, right? Kalaev tends to fight from a distance. He doesn't really bring himself in range of your punches if he can at all avoid it. And he's fairly disciplined in that. And Kutelaba needed him to get into range for Kutelaba's land bomb. And really, Ian is only very dangerous in the first round. After that, he loses steam. So that was his best time to do it. I see the logic in it. I do think McDonald just fucked that up really badly. It's one thing if Ian is uh, with his back to the cage uh, and kind of, you know, barely on his feet. But, I mean, he was he was slightly swaying. But he was perfectly fine, and it seemed like nothing landed on the replay. You're right. Yeah, so I'm asking you, did you think Kutelaba was hurt, or do you think Kutelaba was playing possum? I don't think he was hurt. I don't know if he was playing possum, but I don't think he was hurt because it, on the replay... Well, he was acting like hurt, though. He, I mean, he was clearly swaying and act. He was yeah. acting like a guy who was un, who was not on steady legs. And I don't, I don't know if he was or not. The only other thing I could think of is, like, one of, the, one of the couple of times that I've been rocked, I think it was in practice, actually, in this case. It was a head kick that didn't land on my head at all, but it landed on my forearm. My forearm slammed into my head, and that was legitimately, like... Like, I, I felt it. I saw that white flash. And I guess there's a small chance that that could be it. 
there's also a chance that Kutilaba's people heard about Bisping kind of creating that narrative and they went with it. I don't think he was actually hurt. Bisping creating what narrative? Well, Bisping is the one who first mentioned the fact that maybe he was playing possum. Oh, you mean after the fight? Got it, got it, okay. Right, right, in the short term after the fight, exactly. And I don't know if they got news about it. I don't know if you know several people texted and asked. Um, but look, there's not much reason to believe he was rocked. I could possibly see those kicks were extremely hard that Ian was able to block. I could see maybe that the kicks being so hard that it actually like swayed him the other way, and which made him need to catch his balance a couple of times. That's the only other explanation I could yeah, see the because body it didn't kick, seem like any of it landed. Yeah, clean. the body kick landed cleanest, if I remember. Yeah, and, and that's a killer. That's a liver shot. That, that left was a kick nasty to the kick. Right side of the body, exactly. So there's a chance that maybe that could have been a factor there. Uh, although it, it seemed like the way he was moving, it was it was very odd. I, I don't disagree with you at all. So yeah, weird stoppage there. I think it's only fair that they rerun it, even though I'm sure for Uncle Live it would be best to move on and, and move on to bigger prospects. He's a very serious prospect of 205, in my opinion. Uh, but you know, it, it would be interesting to see them run it back. Maybe maybe like as soon as next month um, as a replacement on a card. Uh, Grant Dawson picked up a win over Derek Minner after Minner looked really dangerous for the first few minutes at least and Dawson actually predicted it he said if I don't get finished in the first two minutes I'm going to win this fight and that's how it went Derek looked super dangerous and then Grant Dawson's pressure took over he was able to get that second round rear naked choke submission on the fellow submission specialist any thoughts on that one Nikolai uh yeah I was sweating it that I wasn't going to win any fights during the during the first round but um yeah Minner you know Minner Minner looks good but Grant Dawson took over and, and did his thing um yeah you know, Tom Tom Breeze didn't have a whole heck of a lot for Brendan Allen. <laughs> no, Brendan Allen, man, coming in two and zero in the UFC, two, uh, I believe, first or second, yeah, two finishes within two rounds uh, against fairly successful UFC fighters and Kevin Holland and Tom Breeze. This kid is something to seriously watch for. He's got an incredibly dangerous ground game. He showed it last time with submissions and this time a grounded pound. So I'm excited to see him continue his career. And with Tom Breeze, I don't know if it's just a matter of Brendan Allen being a monster. Or if Tom Breeze was mentally just defeated the moment the fight started going against him. But it's not a good showing for a guy that's been fighting, you know, twice in the last several years. And, you know, pulling out of fights because of anxiety issues, because of injuries. He's quickly losing his prime. And it doesn't seem like he has the head game for this sport. I got to give a quick shout out again to Kyler Phillips, who looked incredibly smooth against Gabriel Silva. This is a guy that struggled on the Ultimate Fighter. He ended up losing to the eventual winner there a couple of seasons ago. But man, did he look extremely smooth, better in every way than Gabriel Silva. He looked better against Gabriel Silva than did Ray Borg in Silva's UFC debut. Him and Silva kind of struggled in the first round and a half to establish who the better fighter is. In this case, Kyler Phillips was clearly head and shoulders above Gabriel Silva. Tavura won a boring decision over Spivak. Luis Pena won a pretty boring decision after Steve Garcia just pieced him up for the first few seconds of every round. Jordan Griffin, man, was you know getting taken down at will by TJ Brown. Kept going for those guillotines. And in that second round, caught a beautiful guillotine choke on TJ Brown, who is really a really well-rounded, solid fighter who doesn't have the best chin. And in this case, ended up getting caught up by Jordan Griffin. He's ferocious, Griffin is. Uh, and uh, Sean Brady, man, looked solid, 12-0, undefeated against Ismail Nardiev, who was seen as the favorite and the bigger prospect here. Uh, Sean Brady is a legitimate guy to be watching out for uh, in this weight division, and I look forward to seeing him compete at 170. Thoughts on any of those fights, buddy? Yeah, Nor- Nordiev needs to needs to figure out how to MMA grapple. I thought that it wasn't going to be a problem after he fought Michelle. Uh, uh, I know, but it's but, twice in a row now. Well, not twice. Well, or not yeah, twice in a row. You're right. He had a yeah, win in between. He's two and two. Um, That's right. But he's if he can't, you know, if he can't handle MMA grappling, he's um, he's going to be in Bellator pretty quickly. I agree, and maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing for him to fight a bunch of cans or maybe be the uh, step-up fight for some of the Bellator's bigger names. Quickly, do we want to get into Figueredo not making weight and claiming to be champion afterward? I, I mean, I've, I've never really I've never really liked the guy very much. So it's, I think, um, you know, with what they want to do with Cejudo, with Cejudo fighting Aldo, he definitely seems like he's moved on. 
um, from the division. When Dillashaw comes back, there's going to be that fight. Like, um, Cejudo's got plenty to do at 135 and 145, um, potentially 145, I should say. But I, you know, I like him at, at flyweight too, but it's, it's better. It's always better to have a fighting champion. I agree. Someone's got to earn it and he's got to, he's got to make weight. Um, and I think there's dudes in the division that can, that can beat him. Who do you think can beat him currently at 125? I think he had trouble. I think he would have trouble with Borg's grappling. Maybe. Borg can't make the weight. We're going to assume that oh. Borg never gets a chance at 125 again. But I do hear the that makes sense actually. So maybe paper. they'll maybe they'll both fight at 135. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. Um, but I think this is the only. I may be wrong, but I think this is the only time that Davidson Figueredo failed to make weight here, and it was by a couple of pounds in his literal biggest fight of his entire career. Maybe he is he is real big. I mean, Mare- I mean Moreno and and Pantoja are good. Um, I don't know if Formiga could could beat him again. Probably not. I think Formiga has a shot. It does seem like Figueroa has made some serious improvements, but Formiga is also coming off of a loss to Benavides, so he's going to need to get a win or two under his belt before moving on to give Figueroa a rematch. But Pantoja here already beat Brandon Moreno is kind of uh, a renewed face in the division. He's only two fights back into the UFC, 1-0-1 so far. Oscar Oscarov's not there yet. Kai Carl France is a name, but he lost to Brandon Moreno. Bonturin had a loss recently. Yeah, it's Matt, Alex Perez, maybe if he has a fight coming up soon and he can get a win there. He's you know he's a guy with some experience on a bit of a win streak, but it is weird. Figueredo's going to need to come back to 125, actually make weight, and then compete for the title, hopefully this time actually eligible to win it. I just don't know who he would face. I'm kind of hoping and crossing my fingers that Figueredo kind of taking this heel turn and talking about how he's the champion regardless of the fact that he didn't make weight. I'm hoping that Henry Cejudo sees enough intrigue there to maybe come back eventually and, and fight the guy. Yeah, it's an interesting fight. I mean, I think so. I think Cejudo tactically is so far superior that as long as as long as long he avoids the big shot, I think that I think Figueredo would only have a puncher's chance in that fight. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with you there. And it does it really doesn't seem like at flyweight there's a whole lot of contenders. I'm just hoping and praying that this doesn't create the opportunity for UFC brass to decide to cancel the division. After all, I'm hoping that we can figure out who Figueredo can fight next and, and figure out who the rightful champion is. Uh, the king of cringe, it's really time to move on from him at the top of the division since he has no plans to ever compete at 125 again. So in segment two, Nick, we're going to get into this big card coming up this weekend, UFC 248. We had a, a night of profit, if not a big profit, but I'll take it. And uh, we're going to get into all of that after this break, folks. This is for the dozens and dozens of the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast listeners. Knowing that you're a bunch of social media influencers, mavens, and mentors, I'd like to ask you to use your prestige to let people know about the podcast. We put a lot of work and research into this series, and we'd love to grow our listenership and expose more people to it. If you know someone who's into MMA but has not given us a listen, give them a heads up. I mean, who doesn't want to hear Nick and I taking turns boasting about the prior week's results, am I right? Back on the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. Nick, it's time for you and I to make our draft picks. As everyone knows, uh, we have a system here. Nick and I basically take turns choosing fighters that are competing on the card. And at the end of Saturday night, whichever of us has uh, more winning fighters on our pick list than the other ends up winning that week. Thus far, we are 4-1-1 one, and one in my favor. Uh, we had one draw a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I expect, Nick, that you can certainly make a comeback here, especially considering you have the first pick. The floor is yours, my friend. Uh, I mean, I'd be really stupid not to take a minus 800 favorite. Uh, you have Rodolfo Vieira, uh, the black belt hunter, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu specialist, um, taking on— uh, Wait, wait, wait. Nick, are you sure you don't want to pick uh, Emily Whitmire? Safar Beg Safarov, maybe? Stop it. No, it's going to be Rodolfo Vera. Rodolfo right. Vera against <laughs> over Saperbeck uh, Safarov. Listen, uh, all Vera has to do is get him down without getting knocked out. Safarov doesn't have um, 
the sexiest record, and this is one of those things where he knows exactly what his opponent's going to do, and he's not going to be able to stop him. And I see this ending by arm bar or a arm triangle choke uh, probably in the first round. Yeah, I hear where you're coming from. I think this line is way too wide. Rodolfo is a high-level Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competitor, but in his UFC debut in which he fought Oscar Piacetta, he was getting fairly winded there. At the end of the first round, he was walking back to his corner. He didn't look fresh. And then in that second round, he just clearly was more fatigued than he should be. Now, maybe we can chalk that up to his UFC debut, but I think there's something to the fact that he's cut down from heavyweight. But I do favor him to win the fight. Supper Bag is an excellent wrestler, though. He's really solid at 205. Maybe at 185, it'll count for less. Uh, I'm not sure how his defense is because not a lot of people have tried to take him down. But he was submitted by Tyson Pedro, so I wouldn't be surprised here. Supper Bag definitely has the better stand-up. He's going to be taller and uh, much longer reach. I think he's got a five-inch reach advantage. So I see some risk here. I think the odds are definitely way, way too far apart. But I don't blame you for making this your first pick, Nikolai. Was it going to be your first pick? Ah, uh, it was gonna be. Uh, it was kind of in that area. I have them kind of sectioned off, and uh, and the, you know the top few, the middle few, and the and the bottom few. Uh-huh. Uh, it, I, I'm not sure. I really do feel like the odds are wide. But if you gave me the opportunity, I probably would have taken it because you probably would have taken my other uh, kind of early pick. My first pick, Nick, is going to be Israel Adesanya in the main event. Oh wow! To be Yoel Romero. I know I'm kind of picking this one on the early side, considering how dangerous Yoel Romero is, considering Israel Adesanya, you know, hasn't really fought those high-level wrestlers throughout his career just yet. But Romero is on, he's two and three in his last five fights. Two of those were extremely close decision losses to Robert Whitaker, at least one of which a lot of people think he deserved to win. And then Paula Costa, I thought Costa certainly beat him and that third round Romero clearly took, but a lot of folks thought that that was an extremely close fight as well. So look, I see ways where he can do his thing against Adesanya. I watched some tape on him, on Romero, specifically against Luke Rockhold, because I thought that he was facing kind of a similarly sized opponent whose strength as the stand-up game, who, you know, throws fakes and feints and throws some solid strikes. And what I saw was that Luke was winning that first round because Joel Romero doesn't really try to do anything in the first round. He kind of reads his opponent and gets a beat on him. In that second round, Yoel kind of splurged by his corner, came out there and landed maybe three or four volleys of combos. And every moment outside of that was essentially inactive. And then in that third round, Nick, he suddenly became two or three times faster. Every strike he threw had precision, had speed to it that those first two rounds didn't have. And I realize there's really a reason why Yoel Romero keeps getting those third-round knockouts. It's like he's warming up uh, to that point. And I think there's real danger in this matchup for Yoel Romero to explode and catch Adesanya because Adesanya is hittable, especially against you know a heavy-handed, explosive guy. Adesanya tends to counter on his back foot. And I think that's probably what will give him his uh, big opportunity here. He's going to throw those fakes. He's going to throw those feints. He's going to try to keep Yoel Romero on his back foot up against that cage. He's got you know, excellent, excellent kicks, a fast jab, really co- good combos on the counter. He doesn't really throw big combos when you're backing up, but if you're throwing at him, he's going to throw one strike as he slip, as he tries to slip every one of your punches. And that's how he was able to win his title against Robert Whitaker, against the guy that Yo Romero fought 10 extremely hard back and forth rounds with. He's got solid takedown defense, but on the off chance that he does get taken down by Romero, Romero isn't really that good at holding people down. Now, I know that he can be explosive with the ground and pound from there, but I don't like his chances of holding Adesanya down. I'm not sure I love his chances of taking Adesanya down, considering Romero doesn't really go for a lot of takedowns. Adesanya does have a good chin, and when his chin fails him, he has great recovery and an excellent, excellent gas tank, whereas Yoel really has to pace himself so I like Adesanya here with his fakes and feints to keep Yoel on the outside to avoid most of the major shots and maybe toward the end of the fight to make Yoel Romero look old. What are your thoughts on this one? Buddy? Yeah, uh, pretty much the same thing. I mean, I think that um, Adesanya is going to, like most of the, the crazy explosive shots that Romero ends fights with are when, I mean, he can cover ground really quickly, but it's usually um, in close. Like when he caught when he caught Weidman, when he knocked out um, 
Rockhold. I think that Adesanya is going to stay way on the outside. My biggest concern, actually, in this fight with Adesanya is that he gets her on like a checked kick that he hurts it that he he's throwing creative strikes and he actually hurts himself against the body that is Yoel Romero <laughs> more than I think that's as much of I think that's as much of a danger as Romero like landing anything I think about the way that Anderson Silva's leg wrapped around Chris Weidman's and I could see out I could see that happening I could see Romero training for that his body's made of steel um and he knows that Adesanya is going to be throwing all you know throwing all kinds of stuff I think, uh, but I think it's Adesanya mostly stays on the outside. He's got really good head movement, and he'll keep enough distance so that he should be able to just get out of the way when Romero uh, does those those big those big explosive movements. Um, I think that's the path to victory, and I could see him. Um, I could see the damage accumulating and him landing enough to potentially get a TKO in the third. I think that's most likely to happen. Wow. It doesn't mean that Romero can't, um, you know, can't drill him. But I think I just think Adesanya is gonna is gonna throw and land more. I think he actually. I think that the that the punishment that Romero takes in this fight is kind of similar to the punishment that um, Anthony Smith took against John Jones. So, like, not necessarily a whole lot of damage, but he will get he will get mostly controlled. I mean, he got beat, just beaten. Just well, he John Jones beat up Anthony Smith. He kind of beat him all over his body and kind of like you know took his will through da- you know through accumulated da- just by piecing him up over time. That's my recollection of it. Yeah, it did seem like he lost his will early in that one. I just feel like uh, predicting Adesanya by third round knockout is impro- like that would be impressive if he pulled this prediction off because Romero's at his best in that third round. That's when he's gotten almost all of his UFC finishes. So that should be interesting. I really think. He's like trucking on all cylinders by then. And the interesting thing about Adesanya is that like if you're going to win a round off Adesanya, that first round is pretty likely. He's still kind of figuring out your timing, setting up his later strikes in his kind of prospect matchup against Brad Tavares. Brad won the majority of that first round. I think maybe Adesanya may have hurt him at some point late in that round, but Brad definitely outstruck him. He was able to push forward with big strikes, something Yoel Romero is capable of. I just don't know if he'll have the output level. And I do worry about Adesanya being on his back foot, the way he kind of leans back, that Anderson Silva kind of lean back that cost him against Chris Weidman. I could see that being a danger. Yeah, but Romero Romero has to cover. He doesn't have the reach, so he's got to cover the ground. Like, Weidman, if, I, if I'm correct, Weidman's got much longer reach than Romero, doesn't he? I believe he does, but Romero explodes. He covers distance, like you said. Similar to the way that Kelvin Gastelum does, except he's not like a little spark plug that comes in from under. He'll like explode up to your height and like smash you with something. So I definitely see the possibility for Yoel to reach out of Sanya. I just don't know if he'll have the conditioning to try enough times to explode in order to eventually catch Adesanya in, in a yeah. way that he can finish him. But if Romero hurts you, he's probably going to finish you. So Adesanya needs to be super safe here. He could be in danger of being kind of a one-and-done champ uh, who ends up losing it to the 42-year-old. It's definitely possible. I, just, I could also see – I mean, Romero's been hurt before. He was hurt by uh, – well, he was, not, he was knocked out uh, by – oh, my God, Feja? In uh, Rafael Calvacante yeah, back in the day, and, yeah, and he was and he was hurt badly by Tim Kennedy, and he was hurt badly by Derek Brunson. Um, you know, he can, was he hurt by Brunson? If I remember correctly, Brunson was winning that fight until he wasn't. I thought Brunson was getting takedowns on him. I don't remember him hurting him, but you're right. I Tim Kennedy that, definitely hurt him. I thought that, Br- and he was finished by Calvacante back in 2011. So he he can be hurt, and Adesanya is very precise, and I could see Adesanya timing, you know timing one of those explosive movements and letting and having Romero fall the way that Jose Aldo fell um, under Conor yeah. McGregor. Like, we'll see. And it, it, listen, this is why it's an exciting fight. Um, Agreed. What's your next pick? Um, oh yeah. My next, my next pick, this is, there's a, there's a bunch of things that I think are interesting here. Um, but I'm going to take uh, Sean O'Malley over Quinones. Um, Makes sense. Which is a bantamweight fight, right? I believe so. Yeah, I think this is. I think they really like O'Malley. I don't know that it's a full-on showcase fight, but in Quinones's fights, he's actually you know action-oriented, exciting fighter. Um, but do, like O'Malley seems more creative. Like he's got, he's going to be able to style more. 
um, <clears throat> and probably land a bit more. I just think uh, I think it's a, is probably the closest thing we have on the card to a, a straight up showcase fight. I guess the the earlier uh, VA have fight, uh, notwithstanding. Yeah, I, I do think, for the record, Quinones is being underestimated here in a decent way. Under the Sufa banner, if you count his Ultimate Fighter uh, Latin America Season 1 fights, he's got seven wins in the UFC and only two losses. So it's not like the guy sucks by any means. Oh, no, right? yeah, I don't his think losses he sucks. Are, right. No, yeah, and I'm not saying that, that you're, you're, you're insinuating that, but his losses are to Alejandro Perez, who's a really successful UFC fighter, and Nathaniel Wood, who is just a successful UFC fighter. So, I look, Shan O'Malley, the concern with him is he's very sharp, he's very quick, he's obviously got the height and reach advantage over most opponents in this weight division. But his takedown defense sucks. He's not really able to uh, stop a whole lot of takedowns effectively. Thus far in his UFC career, he got taken down four times by Andre Sukumtak. Granted, most of that was late in the fight where uh, I think he had some kind of a leg or knee injury. But then on the ultimate, uh, on the Dana White's contender series fight that he had, he was taken down early once or twice uh, as well. So I do see the danger there. I'm sure he's been working his ass off. I'm sure he's been improving. And so I, I like his chances against Quinones here. He's not super athletic. He's like a guy who'll take the war to you. He will just put pressure on you, throw takedowns, throw strikes, but he's not uber strong necessarily. He's not super athletic. And so I think that might limit his chances here. But I do think, you know, maybe an underdog bet on Quinones might be worth it because this, this, these odds, I think, are a little bit too wide considering the success of Quinones thus far in the UFC and the fact that Sean O'Malley hasn't really beaten anybody that high level thus far in his career. My next pick is going to be Mark Madsen to beat Austin Hubbard. Yeah, I, I wanted that one. I think he, he, yeah, I think he might be a little bit too big of a favorite. Mark Madsen here as well because Austin Hubbard is a, is a capable guy. He trains at elevation the Elevation Fight Team up in Denver. And Madsen is an excellent wrestler. He recently moved to the States. I believe he's Welsh originally. Used to train in Denmark. That's where he has his own gym, I believe. And he recently switched to Extreme Couture. I think there's a picture on his Instagram of him at the Social Security Administration. I guess he's trying to become uh, maybe a permanent legal alien or something. But Madsen's wrestling is out of this world. I mean, he's 35 years old. He's not a young guy. But he is kind of putting his ground game together. And I think he'll have the wrestling advantage over Austin Hubbard, who I think should have a decent height advantage and a decent stand-up advantage, on top of the fact that cardiovascularly, he should have a good edge here training at elevation. But I do like Mark Madsen. He's super athletic. He's extremely strong, uh, two- or three-time Olympian. And I like his chances of getting top position here. It might be boring because I don't think he'll be able to put away Austin Hubbard like he was to his UFC debut opponent. But... I think he'll be able to put some numbers on Hubbard from up top and uh, win a decision, but I do see the risk. Hubbard's a tough guy with a lot of heart. Yeah, I, I had Madsen. He was going to be my next pick. Um, you know, he's, I like I like a fighter like him. He's like part Gregor Gillespie, part Euler Latifi. Um, I hear that. And, True story. And, uh, and yeah, I think he's. You know, I mean, the thing is, if if his game if he has a terrific game plan, if his game plan doesn't work, you might be in trouble. But uh, I suspect I suspect it'll work in this fight. Um, my next pick, I'm going to go and pick the co-main event now. I'm going to pick Zhang Weili to beat, uh, Joanna Jankic. Um, it's a risk. I think it's definitely uh, a risky pick. I just think that, uh, Weili, I mean, with, honestly, her having to jump around in her camp being everywhere is the biggest concern. Um, and that scares me the most, but. Joanna hasn't, you know, she definitely is on the downside, I think, of of her career. She's lost a little bit, but Zhang Weili is just so, so strong, I think. And she's more technical than, say, for example, Andrade is, um, I think. So the combination of her having really good fundamentals and such a strength advantage um, is going to, I think, allow her to probably make some things happen in the clinch, may, despite the great sprawling ability, probably take Jan Jankic down. And I'm not so convinced that um, should she land, um, you know, land a, a big hook, that JJ's chin's gonna gonna show up because I think that what is gonna uh, hold up, I should say, because I think that Zhang Weili has got more pop than uh, than Rose Namajunas does. 
Um, so that's that's how I think this this fight goes. I think that JJ is a live dog, um, and always you know always brings the fight. I just don't think she's going to have enough pop to stop uh, Zhang Weili. I definitely see some pluses and minuses for both girls here. I agree with you on the pick at the end of the day, but as far as each fighter's strengths and weaknesses, I think they kind of match up in an interesting way here. I can see Joanna being the taller fighter here. I can see her longer straighter punches having effect. The thing about Zhang is that she's excellent at countering. She, uh, much like Israel Adesanya, when you're throwing offense at her, she's not just blocking or running away. She might be stepping back, but she's throwing hard strikes as she attempts to slip and duck your offense. So she kind of stays in that pocket and tries to punish you for going at her. That's how she won her strawweight championship in her last fight against Jessica Andrade. Jessica just kept throwing offense, and for every single strike that Jessica threw, Zhang Weili had an answer at the very same moment. So I could see that being kind of a plus and minus and that Joanna's going to put the pressure on her. But Zhang has some solid counters, even though she has a reach disadvantage in this case. I think Joanna's leg kicks, especially as a fight wears on, could be a factor as well. Joanna's not going to stop, and she only gets stronger as the fight wears on, whereas Zhang Weili's never been five rounds. And I think that could be a serious factor as well if Zhang isn't able to finish her in the first half of the fight. She has given up multiple takedowns, Joanna has, to Gadelia, Shevchenko, to Andrade. So I see the possibility of the stronger Zhang Weili being able to take her down at some points throughout this fight. Uh, part of that at least depends on her having an excellent gas tank going into this one because Joanna's not traveling far where Zhang Weili is. On top of that, Zhang Weili is kind of going through all this stuff in her country with the coronavirus really affecting them first and the most and her having to move out of her comfort zone. Uh, she went to Thailand to continue her training there, but then that's also kind of an issue there. So I could see how her training may have been somewhat uh, kind of messed with because of that pandemic that's kind of going around the world right now. I do think Zhang has better jiu-jitsu. I think she's got better takedowns. And I think she hits harder than Joanna. I think she's physically stronger than Joanna. Definitely. So, yeah. So so I, I definitely favor Zhang Weili in this one, but I can see the risk. Joanna gets stronger as the fight goes on. And Zhang, we don't know whether she can go five rounds just yet, Nikolai. Um, that was going to be my next pick, though. My next pick is going to be uh, Li Jing Liang to beat Neil Magny. Oh, I have that one also. Yeah, I, I was really impressed with Jing Liang's last performance. He came in as a pretty big underdog against Lizzie Zaleski Dos Santos and really kind of pieced him up throughout the fight and then ended up finishing him in that third round, which is extremely impressive. Uh, I like Li Jing Liang to beat up Neil Magny, who's been out of the cage for, I think, 15 months. He's not super athletic. And the people that he beat, like, it looked good a couple of years ago, but it doesn't. his resume doesn't hold up nearly as well nowadays. His wins over Craig White, Carlos Condit, Johnny Hendricks, Hector Lombard on, on his last couple of, you know, his last couple of steps in the UFC. Losses to Lorenz Larkin, Rafael Dos Santos, Santiago Ponzinibbio. Guys that are quite a bit more athletic than him. Guys that are fast. And I think Li Jing Liang firing at all cylinders falls into that category. Yeah, I was the same. And, you know, he's coming off. He, it's double-edged sword, right? Because Magny's coming off a suspension. But he's also coming off a long rest after being one of the most active guys in the UFC since 2012. Maybe the most active. I would put his number of fights up against Cerrone's. Um, but off the stuff with this, you know, older now. Like, I think this is Li Zhang's uh, uh, fight to uh, Li Jing Yang's uh, fight to lose. So I had I had the same pick. Um, next, I'm going to go with Benil Dariush over Drakkar Close. Um, I like Drakkar Close, but he's always in, no pun intended, extremely close fights. He gets a lot of unanimous decisions um, against competition that's frankly not as polished, as technical as Benil Dariush. I think that um, Dariush's one weakness is he can sometimes be a little chinny. Close doesn't have that kind of pop. So at least not as far as, as we've seen in his other fights. So I think that Dariush's um, combination, his wrestling, his clinch game, his elbows, um, I think should net him a confident decision victory over Jakar Close. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with the pick. And this one is very close on paper to me, closer than the odds suggest with Benil Dariush being minus 170 favorite. I think Jakar Close is athletic. Uh, he's, you know, not super fast, but then... Benil Dariush isn't fast really after that first round either. Dariush's ground game is really my biggest concern when it comes to uh, Drakkar Close here. 
Drakkar Close gave up two takedowns in his last fight to Chiagos, gave up a takedown to Bobby Green, a takedown to Lando Venata. He gave up takedowns in almost every one of his UFC fights. And that's not really something you want to do against Dariush, who's really, really solid from up top, able to finish there, able to keep you down at the very least. Uh, although I see the risks with Dariush's chin, I do agree with the pick. My next pick, Nikolai, I'm going to, this is like all pick em territory from here on out. And. I think there's still I think there's still some some guys I favor strongly left on the card, but we'll, really we'll, yeah yeah I, I don't, at least at least I don't two feel the same but, way, but okay fair enough um, I, I I do favor Alex Oliveira by a relatively small margin to beat Max Griffin uh, I think Oliveira just has more power the people that he's lost to are at a higher higher level than the people that Max Griffin has competed against for the most part. And Max Griffin is on a three-fight losing streak, although Oliveira's two and five in his last seven. Um, I, I just think Max Griffin doesn't necessarily have the third-round cardio to do well here. And I think that's what he's going to need against Oliveira, who progressively gets tired as he really puts it on you in the first couple of rounds. So I like Alex Oliveira to score enough points early and not get finished late in this one. Yep, I, uh, same, same. I think that... Um, listen, both of these guys take a lot of risks and, ma- and make a lot of mistakes. I just think that overall, um, Cowboy Oliveira is, I don't know if he's, ma- I mean, maybe a little bigger, stronger, a little bit more durable, perhaps. Um, we've certainly seen him get clipped, but not again, but against guys who are at a, at a higher level, um, than Mac, than Max Griffin is. So, um, I think this is, I think that's Cowboy Oliveira's fight. Uh, for my next pick, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go with the AKA guy, Darren Will over Jared Mearshart. Um, Darren Wynn. I'm sorry, Darren Wen. Oh, oh Darren Wynn, not Dar- sorry, not Darren Will. Yeah, I mean no he's worries. a short he's a short dude. He lost a recent split decision, but I thought he looked real good there. Uh, the fact is, I I think that Mershot's path to victory is is tell me if I'm wrong here is win strength. So I don't see him. Um, I think I think Darren Wynn actually controls most of this fight uh, from from the top. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I can see that happening. Darren is a good wrestler, but he really gets tired. He's a really, really tiny man for this weight division, standing at only 5'6", and that's at 185 pounds neck, where you have giants like Gerald Mirchard, who's not even close to the tallest guy in the division, standing at 6'1". He's going to have a huge reach advantage. Um, Mirchard has really good submissions. I think he could take advantage of a tired Darren Wynn. I think it's certainly possible. Also, Darren Wynn gave up a takedown in his last fight to a guy that like never really scores takedowns, Darren Stewart. Uh, I thought he deserved to lose that decision against the guy who just landed more damage on him, even though he was able to score a bunch of takedowns that didn't really do any damage. But I do like Darren Wynn in this fight by a very close margin. I could definitely see uh, I could definitely see Merchart kind of taking over. First of all, standing up, Wynn is going to be way faster, which is kind of the reason that I gave him the edge. But um, he's going to have trouble reaching Merchart as the fight goes on. So I could see Merchart kind of uh, landing some strikes at a distance. I just think Wynn is way too small for this division to be confident in. But I feel you there, bud. Um, my next pick is going to be Dana Batgirel to beat Guido Ganetti. Man, we have all the or same picks again this week. So Do far. we? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, I think I think Dana has enough of a right hand. I think he's got enough... Uh, high-level experience in the Asian scene. And Guido just seems like kind of a mediocre Latin American fighter who hasn't put his entire game together. Um, even though Dana is winless in the UFC this far, I expect him to pick up his first UFC win here. Uh, I, I had the same. And now it gets really crazy. Um, I'm going to take Jamal Emers, who has that victory in the past over Corey Sanhagen to beat uh, Giga Chikadze. Um What do you got in this one? I I disagree. Just I, I think Giga took this fight on really short notice, I think, and maybe that would give Jamal Emmers the edge. Jamal Emmers actually fought his last fight against a pretty good prospect, and uh, standing up was pretty competitive. Early on, Jamal took a few licks, and then he was able to land a few before he got a takedown and was able to get a submission. And Giga's not known for his ground game, but he was able to get up and do some serious damage against uh, against Davis in his UFC debut. So I like Chica because he's going to be the taller fighter here. He trains at King's MMA. But the short notice thing, I'm not sure how short a notice he took this fight on. That could affect things. Um, so I, I do disagree very slightly on the pick here, but it could easily go either way on paper. My final pick, Nikolai, no tiebreaker on this one, is going to be Emily Whitmire to beat Pollyanna Viana. Um, I think Viana is very unathletic. She's got decent jiu-jitsu, but I also think she's 
you know, mentally she's pretty weak. I think once things start going against her, she doesn't really show up. And her last fight, she lost to a girl that's got a couple of submission losses. And mind you, Pollyanna Viana is supposed to be a really, really good grappler. That's supposed to be her biggest strength because her striking isn't great. She keeps her chin really high and she gets hit. Uh, Veronica Macedo, who's otherwise winless in the UFC, was able to submit her in the first round. So uh, I, I like that Emily Whitmire is a little bit more athletic and I like that she trains in... Vegas and is able to fight in Vegas as well. I just think Viana's a pretty face with no real substance. All right. Well, that's everything for the card. We'll see. I've, uh, to run it down, um, I'm picking Vera over Safarov. Stan's picking uh, Madsen over Hubbard. I'm picking Darius over Close. I'm picking Emmers over uh, Chigazi, as well as O'Malley versus Quinones and Win over Mearshot. I've got these in a wild order. Sorry, Adesanya over Romero for Stan. Vaili over Janchenkic for me. Um, Magni losing to Li Jiangling as Stan. Stan also has Cowboy Oliveira over Max Griffin. Emily Whitmire over Pollyanna Viana, and Dana Batgirl. Dana Batgirl over Guido Canetti. Uh, I do have a quick question. Who are you picking in the Whitmire Viana fight? Oh, um, good question. I was gonna go. I was. It was kind of a pick'em for me, but I had Viana. I mean, it's definitely a pick'em. Uh, okay, cool. I had and, I um, had Viana, but I don't feel strongly about it. Cool. I do want to quickly say, last week I predicted that I would probably win because I like that most of my top picks uh, I was able to get. This week, I think you might have a solid chance. I think your list of picks overall is pretty pretty solid here. So uh, I expect that we're going to be four, two, and one at the end of next week. But we'll see what happens, buddy. Let's take a break and get into our betting recommendations after this, bud. And we are back to the MMA Geeks Sealable Podcast. We're getting into our betting guide here, Nick. Last week, I was able to turn a profit for the first time in a little while, man. It was a rough go of three events in a row where, I mean, they weren't the biggest losses, but they were losses. And uh, I, I, that is just not a good feeling. Excited to be back on the winning track now. I believe you're, uh, you kind of threw away a parlay that you weren't super serious about. You recommended Benavidez and Nardia. Both of them huh, lost. That, that went, that went great. <laughs> yeah, but only twenty dollars uh, at risk there, so that's not so bad if you ask me. Do you have any betting recommendations for the listeners for this one? Not on this card. I mean, there are a few parlays I could think about, but I'm not. I didn't pick a single underdog, so um, you know, I think there's some interesting underdogs. Like maybe you know, Max Griffin could be an interesting bet. Um, to your earlier point, Jose Quinones could be an interesting underdog bet. As um, both of the competitors that we picked, both of the underdogs in the title fights, but I don't feel good um, spending my hard-earned money on any of it. I hear that. I don't blame you one bit. Um, I am going to make a couple of recommendations. Again, I'm not going crazy here with the amounts. I, I'm trying to keep it safe for the listeners. Uh, although I've turned a profit in most of my betting this year, my recommendations have not been doing as well. Um, but I will recommend a bet, uh, a Liang, Liang versus Magni. I think that's likely enough to go to decision. And at minus 115, I would seriously recommend putting maybe 25 bucks on that one. It's, it's nothing that'll change your night by a big margin. I recommend uh, $17 on Chikazi as an underdog now, $25 per, uh, profit if you're able to pull that one off. Emily Wetmeyer and Adesanya, 17 bucks in a parlay to win 25. And uh, now for my slightly bigger bets, I recommend uh, uh, parlay on Adesanya and Jing Liang, $42 to win 50 plus money with those two guys I think is a decent deal, although Romero's a dangerous motherfucker. Uh, and then Matson and Wei Li Zhang, $40 to win 50 I could certainly see JJ coming through and winning a decision over Wei Li here, but I like Matson and Wei Li to come out with victories. I will also kind of give myself a little bit of a hedge on those couple of Adesanya parlays. I'm going to recommend a bet on Romero by finish. I don't know what the odds for that would be as of now just because all of the prop bets are not uh, out yet. The odds aren't out for them. So 
I do recommend 20 or 25 bucks on Romero to kind of cover yourself on that Adesanya, uh, on those couple of Adesanya bets. And also, Safarov by decision, he's a huge underdog, and I think he's got a chance at defending a couple of early takedowns. He's also a submission guy, so maybe he's able to avoid getting submitted in, in the first few minutes until his opponent gets tired. So I recommend 10 bucks on him by decision. I don't know what the prop betting odd on that is yet because they're not out yet, but I figured that'll net you a nice profit of something like 50 to $80. So that'll do it for me this week on the betting, Nikolai. Real quick, what's the next card? The next card is going to be UFC Fight Night 170. Oh, Kevin Lee against the Bronx. It's a great main event. Maya versus Burns. That's a great fight. Prospect versus Maya as usual. Mikanya is back. Coming yeah. back. Johnny Walker against Krylovs. That's good. Mikano. I like it. Yeah, Johnny Walker Krylov is going to be fucking super war, man. That's going to be insanity. Trinaldo Macdesi is not going to be boring. That's true. Elizio uh, Zalaski Dos Santos is coming back against Alexei Kuchenko. For Maiga Moreno on the feels to me like that should be like an ESPN plus card. Nick, the UFC has this major issue that they somehow expect the flyweight division to magically become popular, but they keep hiding it on the other card. Even bouts that are promised to be very exciting. Number three versus number five. It's insanity, and it's on the other card. Like, how do they expect these people to be